0: I invite you now to turn your Bibles to Genesis 24. We're returning to our study in Genesis, Genesis 24, beginning in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, "'Please give me a little water to drink from your jar.' She said, Drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said blessed be the Lord the god of my master Abraham who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master as for me the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things rebecca had a brother whose name was laban "'Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. "'As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms "'and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, "'thus the man spoke to me. "'He went to the man. "'And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. "'He said, "'Come in, O blessed of the Lord. "'Why do you stand outside? "'For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels.' So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, "'You shall not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house.'" And to and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will also draw water for your camels. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me have a drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camel's drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camel's drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milka bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms, then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may return, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord had spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they had rose in the the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young, young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister... May you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from High Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you open your word to our eyes that we may see? Would you instruct us? Would you plant deeply within our hearts seeds and seeds of faith? Would you grow those seeds and nourish those seeds that they would prosper and bear fruit, that you would be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have seen throughout Genesis this big theme of Abraham's life as revealed in this book of the Bible, and that is the Lord will provide. This is no doubt another account of that truth, of God providing exactly what was needed at just the right time. We know this is true. We sing about it. We confess it. We celebrate it that God is faithful, that he's trustworthy, that he will provide for all of our needs. And yet it's hard to hold on to Sometimes, especially in a time like this when we struggle to make sense out of what's happening and what the future holds and what tomorrow is going to look like. I know God will provide, but then I turn on the news and I hear of another story of a case here in Indian River County, or I see a clip of a Healthcare professional pleading with people to stay home, or another one telling about running out of supplies, or I, I hear someone make predictions about the stock market that it may take years to recover. And with all of these things, fear creeps in and the idea of trusting a God who provide just or will provide just, just kind of fades away, it evaporates. And so we struggle. What does it look like to see and to know and to trust? God will provide for us in these times. Well, what's special about today's passage is that while it's a remarkable story, it's really a story of God's providential work in very ordinary things. Now, we would say that the story itself is extraordinary, but there's nothing miraculous in the story. There's no parting of the sea. There's no jail door swinging open in the middle of the night. There's no manna appearing from heaven when we wake up in the morning. They're ordinary things by which uh, Abraham and then his servant act, committing their ways to the Lord and asking God for direction that he and then in turn does. We see God working in a very ordinary way through providence to direct the steps of his people. I love what author Kent Hughes has to say about God's providence as revealed in this chapter of Genesis. He writes, The God of Scripture is not simply a God of miracles who occasionally injects His power into life. He is far greater because He arranges all of life to suit and affect His providence. This makes all of life a miracle. God is over all. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and all-controlling. This is the God of Scripture. Anything less is an idolatrous reduction of our puny imaginations. This is the truth that we need to hear, the truth that we need to hold on to, the truth that we need implanted into our hearts and minds in a time like this. Certainly, we could look at this passage and see how Abraham's servant was noble for following his master's orders. We could see how Rebecca was hospitable in responding to the servant's request. We could admire Abraham himself for being very particular about who his son should marry. And while all of those things are fine to admire, they're not the right focus that we need to have as we come to this passage. Instead, I want us to see and revel in the grandeur of an omnipotent God who rules and reigns to carry out all of His purposes that are for our good. This can be a hard thing to see, a hard thing to hold on to, a hard thing to trust in a time like this. And yet, God's providential rule has not diminished in one way because of this crisis or any other crisis that could emerge, God is still in control. And that's the truth that we need for our hearts. It's the truth that we see in this text today. And so that's the truth that I want us to fix our eyes on. Not to to diminish the, the other actors in the story, but I want us to see the primary actor in this story, That is God. He is the one who brings everything together at just the right way in just the right time to accomplish his purposes. He is the one who provides all that is needed in just the right way. He alone is the faithful one, not only in this passage, but throughout all of Scripture, who never fades in his trustworthiness. It is because of who he is and all that he has done that we can trust him in times of crisis and in times of plenty. It's because of who He is. We come to Him then in faith, but we also come to Him in obedience, trust and obey. It's a song that many of us sang as children, a song that when you say those lines together, can't, uh, I can't help but imagine the tune and start singing it in my head. And yet, unfortunately, some people misunderstand that command They think that trust and obey means something like trust God, yes, but then do your part and work hard at it. But that's not what we see in Scripture. Sure, we are not static beings. We don't let go and let God. That's another uh, misunderstanding of Scripture. That's not in Scripture. uh, that, That thought, some people quote it as such as if we could let God do anything. God is omnipotent. We don't let God do anything. We are to trust God in all things, and we are to walk with Him in obedience. We trust Him, and we walk by faith, and we do so in obedience. But even that obedience, we're told, is a gift of His grace toward us. It's by the power of His Spirit within us that we're even able to obey. In other words, it's all grace. So it's because of who He is and what He has done for us that we in turn can then obey and please Him. And the only way that that makes sense is if He is all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty, and ruling over all. Otherwise, our obedience would mean very little. As the chapter opens, the narrator tells us that Abraham is old. We already knew that. But it's the narrator's way of focusing in that he was well advanced in years. In other words, Abraham is very aware that he's near the end of his life. He is preparing for the end of his life. He is in touch with his own mortality. He is ready to get matters and affairs in order. And that's exactly what he's going to do. The, verse, the first verse also tells us the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things which meant that there was a lot to get in order. He had many, uh, uh, he was prosperous. And later the servant, you know, expands on what all of that may, meant, you know, herds and land. And there were, there was a lot of responsibility. And yet his primary focus right here is a wife for his son, Isaac. And the reason is without a wife, the promise ends, at least from a human perspective, Sarah is dead now. There's no other sibling. The only way the promise will continue is for Isaac to have a wife so that he can have a child. Now, Abraham has already learned the difficult lesson of taking matters into his own hands. He's learned that more than once, as we've seen. The idea that there could be shortcuts to this need that's before him has been very tempting in Abraham's past. And he has learned that when he fails to trust God, it always ends very poorly. And so it seems like in his old age, he's a lot wiser. He knows better. He knows better than to take the shortcuts. And so his job is not to solve how the promise is kept. His job is to trust God and to obey him and look to God to keep the promise. And so he applies what he understands are wise principles for how this selection needs to happen, the first is, don't take a wife for my son from the Canaanites, from the daughters of the Canaanites. Why? Well, the Canaanites were a pagan people. They were the descendants of Ham. They had been cursed since the time of Noah, and they certainly didn't walk with the Lord. And that would have been the tempting shortcut because they were right there. They were next door neighbors to Abraham. That would have been the easy thing to do, just to select a bride from among the Canaanites, but. Abraham knew better, and he said no. The second thing he instructs his servant to do is to find a wife from among his kin, to go back to Ur and to find uh, a wife there. He doesn't want Isaac to go. He seems to recognize the temptation that Isaac might face to stay there. And so he understands that. Isaac needs to remain in the land because this is where the promise is unfolding. But you as my servant go and find a wife for him there. And so he makes him make a pledge with him. And in this pledge, he lays out these requirements and then says that if the woman will not come back with you, you're off the hook. You're okay. You don't have to do anything further. And so we see in and through this plan, this commitment of their ways to the Lord, that Abraham and the servant both are trusting God in making this pledge with one another, that God will keep His promise. We're going to make our plans. We're going to do things in the way that seems honoring to Him and wise. But ultimately, God has to work in and through our plan for there to be success. Folks, that's how we're to function. We make our plans. The Lord directs our steps. So we make our plans and we submit them to the Lord to give us success. That's the wisdom that's found in James 4.13, where he writes, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You see, we obey, but we do so in faith, trusting God to make our ways successful, that He is indeed working all things together according to His will for His glory and for our good. And so that is why we can then apply those words from Proverbs, commit your work to the Lord and by, and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. In other words, we trust Him with the results. We trust Him. We obey Him. We walk in faith. We follow His ways and we, tr- and, and we wait for Him and His results and we trust that they are good. And we can trust. You see, even when we make our plans and things don't go according to plan or things fall apart, we can still trust Him because He's good. Sometimes things don't make sense. We've made our plans, we've committed them to the Lord, and nothing goes as as was planned. Folks, He's still good. He still rules and reigns. He is still at work. Trust Him, and you will see His good work in your life. Obey God. Ask for wisdom. Apply truth to your decisions. But do so all in faith that He is at work. See, we trust and obey when we submit our lives and our actions, all of our plans to God to work accordingly to his good and sovereign will. That's wise living. And this is what we see Abraham's servant and Abraham do. And then in verse 10, we see him head out in obedience to his master. Master, He has uh, the gifts that he's ready to give to the prospective bride and her family. And the trip is then condensed into down into this one verse but understand this was a long trip this was quite a journey uh, probably months if not many many weeks to travel this distance by camel through pretty harsh conditions and you imagine the waiting that's involved there's almost always waiting you've heard me say God is 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 never late but he's he's rarely early he's always on time but often his timing requires our waiting And you think of this servant and the day in and day out riding on that camel through the desert heat and the temptation to think, what am I doing? No one's going to let their daughter go with a stranger and move hundreds of miles back east to be someone uh, someone else's wife. This is nuts. This is crazy. Now, I'm not saying the servant ever thought that, but you see, this is what we're tempted to do in times of waiting. And we have to commit our ways to the Lord, but then we have to recommit them and recommit them and recommit them over and over again during the waiting time. Don't give up, trust and obey. And then by the next verse, we see he's arrived. So it makes it feel like it's a really short journey. He's now outside the city where the well is, and it's that time of day when the young women would come out to get water for their homes. He has staged himself in what seems like a wise location to find a bride. This is the place where the young women come. But note that his confidence is not in his own wisdom, his own plan. He's done what seems wise, but his confidence is in the Lord as revealed in verse 12 where he goes to God in prayer and says, "O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham, You see, he knows from where his help comes from. He's committed his plans to the Lord, but he trusts God to give success. He then describes his plan in the prayer. He prays specifically, but notice he's not asking for anything miraculous or supernatural. He's asking God to work through the ordinary patterns of life to reveal who the wife would be. We might have prayed... Uh, something similar in life and not gotten the results that we wanted things don't always work this way don't turn this into something as a pattern for how to live all of life like lord if the second car comes through the intersection at just the right time then i'll order the chicken biscuit instead of the steak biscuit this morning for i mean this is that's not what's being taught here in scripture we need to think wisely about this but in terms of committing our steps wisely before the lord and trusting him with the results That is what we are to take away. So even when things don't go according to plan... And, and there's no indication in this text that it, anything else happened because Rebecca showed up before he even stopped praying. But imagine if two or three girls had come before Rebecca and he had said, may I have a drink of water? And maybe two of them gave him a drink but didn't offer to, to water his camels. Maybe the third one rebuffed him altogether. Um, you know, th- sometimes there's waiting involved in, in, in these times where we're, we're looking for direction from God. But God here grants him success and clear direction right away. Before he even finishes praying, uh, Rebecca shows up, and she does exactly what the servant has prayed for. The task that he had spelled out uh, was answered. And let me say this was no small task. There were 10 camels. These, these camels drink a lot of water, probably up to 25 gallons a piece after a long journey. And so you can imagine Rebecca doing this work in the heat of the evening. Uh, even if it was the cool of the evening, if it was later, it would have still been a work that where she broke a sweat because it was back and forth up and down the steps down to the well, which would typically have been a spring with steps made down to it. And she's carrying what might have been, you know, a few gallons in a jar to deliver then all to the trough that was needed, uh, for the camels to drink. So she worked really hard to accomplish this task. And while she's working, it says, the, the servant gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. The servant was literally watching God unfold this work before him. He was seeing Jehovah Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, the God who provides. He was seeing God provide right before his very eyes that he had indeed given him success and prospered his journey. And so he places the jewelry on rebecca the nose ring, the bracelets, and he asks her whose daughter she is, and she explains that she comes from Abraham's family. And so he knows this is the right one, that she is the grandniece of Abraham. This is from his kin. Slowly and slowly, Yahweh reveals that he has provided. Rebekah then tells the servant that there's plenty of room to stay And after he asks for that, and then she runs off. She goes to her mom's house in excitement to tell the news. And Abraham's servant falls to his knees in prayer to thank God for this provision. Look in verse 27. He prays, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Notice he recalls this phrase, steadfast love. It's how he prayed before he met Rebekah. And he repeats this, that God has shown him this said this steadfast love, this, this love that is continual, it's kindness, it's the Hebrew concept of grace, that God has poured out his grace and favor on the servant of Abraham. And this too ought to be our response as we commit our ways to the Lord, that it, that as he then answers that we come to him with grateful hearts, thanking him, regardless of the way he answers, whether he provides or whether he says no, that we simply say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the next character is Laban. We see Laban come out. If you notice in the text, it says, as soon as he noticed the jewelry on his sister's arms, he went running to meet this man. Now this is the same Laban who we'll see again later once Rebecca and Isaac are married and have their son Jacob. When he comes back looking for a wife, it's Laban who takes advantage of him and tricks him. We'll get to that eventually. But it's because of that revealing of his character in that story, as well as the fact that he responds after seeing the jewelry, the narrator makes sure we see that, that we believe he's being motivated here by greed. He's just a little too eager in his response. And so he earnestly invites him back and says all the provisions have been made and he spreads a feast out before the servant of Abraham. But the servant says I won't eat until I have explained why I have come. And so he then begins to retell the story and he brings in just enough of the detail so that the hearers come to understand the providential outworking or working of Yahweh in making all of this happen. What he wants them to see is to understand that the hand of the Lord is all over this, that God made this prosper, that God made this successful. So they will in turn look and see this is by the hand of the Lord. We have to let Rebecca go. And so upon completing the recounting of events, Laban and his father Bethuel both agree in verse 50, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. The Lord had provided and done exactly what the servant had asked of him. And once again, we see the servant respond in verse 52, bowing before the Lord in thanksgiving. Now the family wants Rebecca to stay, and we can certainly understand why. She's about to move hundreds of miles away for who knows how long before they will see her again. And so we can understand the sentiment of why they would want her to stay. But the servant appeals and says, let me go. Because the Lord has prospered my way. It's his way of saying, I'm doing the Lord's work and I need to hit the road and get back. And we don't know his motivation, but it's, it's quite possible that he was anxious to get back with this bride for uh, Abraham to be able to meet her before his death. We don't really know, but they wish her the best. They speak words of blessing over her. And they leave and return to Canaan. And then the final scene comes up before us. It's like this cinematic scene as we imagine it in a some kind of romance movie. It's sunset. It's evening. Isaac is out for his walk. He's taking time to pray. And he looks up and he sees the caravan. And Rebecca looks up and she sees him coming toward the caravan. And you imagine their eyes meet as they wonder. And then they ask and get clarification. Yes, this is the one. And then, in the last words of the chapter, we see the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca, and he brings her into his mother's tent. Now, this is important uh, because it was uh, without Sarah, as we said before, there is no continuation of the promise of an offspring. And so a mother needed to re-enter into the family. And so it was now from Abraham and Sarah, now through Isaac and with Rebecca as his wife, that the offspring would come, that God would provide. And indeed, he did provide. He always provides because he always keeps his promises. And that's what he continued to do. And he kept keeping his promises and he kept providing through the years and through the generations until one day he sent his angel to speak to another young woman and say, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end.'" The promises given to Abraham of a son and an offspring, of a land, of a blessing to nations were all fulfilled in the personal work of Christ. He is the promise come true. And so as we read a verse like John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life, we see that answered that answer to the promise in the person of Christ, that everyone who believes, it's no longer limited to this small, tiny family of Abraham or to his descendants. It is now for people of all nations, of all tribes, of all tongues, to be able to respond to the hope of the gospel. And so this promise then, as it's proclaimed in Christ, becomes a call to you and me to put our hope and our faith in Christ. It's a call to us today to put our trust in Him. If you have never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is the Lord and that God He died and God raised Him from the dead, then today is the day of salvation. Put your hope and your trust in Him. And then as we know that He keeps all of His promises, we can continue to trust Him and to obey Him because everything He says He will do, He does. The same God who promised Abraham and delivered, the same God who guided His servant and led him to Rebekah, the same God who moved in that family and in Rebekah's heart so that she would go and return to a faraway land and marry Isaac. He is the same God who rules and reigns in all of your life. He is the one who through his providential work and care in your life is accomplishing all all of His purposes. So He will guide you and protect you and lead you and provide for you as He providentially cares for your every need in your life, whether we're in crisis or not. He is working out all things according to His good will, and this is good for all who love Him. Hear the words, then, of Isaiah to the people of God. These are words to you today. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees, Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you're the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You never change. You are faithful and true, and we can trust you. Thank you for how you care through the ordinary means in life. Every day, the most minuscule things that we take for granted, you are at work and indeed working all things together for our good and for your purposes and glory. And so we commit our ways to you. We commit our plans to you. We confess that we trust you and we look to you as the only one who can give us success and prosper our ways and all the plans that we make. And so we commit everything to You, trusting You. Would You then work in our lives to produce the fruit of obedience, that You would be pleased, and that others would see our good works and glorify You in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the benediction and receive it. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Go in peace.